You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, John Worth, I'm here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast, a Wimbledon recap week. We are going to talk about the championships, 2018 Wimbledon, the reemergence of Novak Djokovic, less dramatically, but uh, just as impressively, the reemergence of Angie Kerber, why we still love Serena and Rafa Nadal. Uh, other storylines that may have been lost in the folds, Jamie Lasanti is going to join us for a 45-minute session on Wimbledon 2018. All right, Jamie, nice to see you. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. You can uh, see by these uh, driver's side and dual side airbags under my eyes that uh, we're <laughs> fighting the jet lag beast a little bit. Actually, it's, it's not that bad coming this direction. But um, anyway, you were not at Wimbledon. You did great work on our uh, Fashionable 50 issue, as you do every year. Uh, unfortunately, Thank this you. caused you to, uh, to miss the tennis. And I am curious. We can go through all sorts of topics. We can take this in any of 100 directions. But um, top line thoughts from watching this on TV stateside. Yeah, so I got to watch as much as I could. I was flying during uh, the men's semis, but which which one? That that uh, my, I was flying I during have... the Anderson <laughs> Isner match. I, w- I, I got have... off the plane, turned <laughs> on my phone, and I couldn't look at it for two minutes because I had so many messages and there were so many tweets and everything. Because uh, your social circle was so wrapped watching uh, a twenty six. 24 fifth set. I was, I was going to say, if you were flying during Rafa Novak, I would have been empathetic and said, uh, boy, you should have right, you know, right. taken a connection through Denver and stayed and watched at the airport bar. If you were flying during uh, Anderson Isner, um, I, I commend you on your travel plans. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only thing I really didn't watch. But I, I just said to you, I am surprised that Djokovic won. Like, I, I guess I can eat my words because I sat here two weeks ago. And I said that I didn't think that he would win a few matches and then suddenly rise back up, but he suddenly got back to the top. And I mean, he... he's a great returner, Jamie. <laughs> um, no, I it's it's one of those things where it 
we, we see evidence of this so often in tennis. And I'm reading about the Baltimore Orioles, and they need a few rebuilding seasons, and they've got to get bad before they get good. And the Kansas City Royals, it's going to take a while to turn this thing around. In tennis, it doesn't take long to turn it around. You are crazy for writing off players because this is what happens. You have your confidence. I mean, I thought Novak Djokovic lose in Indian Wells to Taro Daniel in a match where he did not look engaged. He didn't look like he wanted to be there. He didn't look like he had anything resembling an aura. He lost to Benoit Paire in Miami and then, you know, gradually put it together. But I think you look at Serena at Indian Wells and you could say the same thing. I mean, she barely was playing tennis, you know, then like we were, she was just coming up, but it's her situation is completely different than Djokovic. And so I think that that's what makes his, like remarkable rise right. in this these two weeks so surprising. I mean, he literally went from not being able to win a title, not winning a major since the 2016 French Open, and then all of a sudden, he, he has another major. I mean, it's uh, these are champions. Novak Djokovic had a much easier pregnancy than Serena Williams, but um, no, I I think it just confidence begets confidence, and a couple of things go your way, and you know, I mean, we we can nitpick and say. Who did Djokovic really have to beat? Well, he had one tremendous win over Rafa. Great match. I mean, you could go back, and he had the good fortune of making it an indoor match. Um, remind me to uh, to tell you a theory I have about that. But, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, you, hey, shit, I can win this thing. I'm This is lining up nicely to me, and I get a tired Kevin Anderson opponent who, even under equal footing without right. a, a long match, is probably a you know, 75-25, 80-20 Djokovic especially in best of five sets, and all of a sudden you're back on the board. And I, I still think a few things. One of them is that semifinal with Nadal. If Nadal wins that match and he had break points in the fifth, I mean, he was right there. It was a well-played match. Nadal had one running forehand that he missed by about six inches. If Nadal wins that match, he probably wins the final, safe to say. Rematch of the U.S. Open, tired yes. Kevin Anderson. I mean, 80-20. All of a sudden Nadal's got 18 majors. He's won the French and Wimbledon, so he's pulled off the channel double. He's within two of Federer. He's, as we all know, he is almost five years younger than Federer. We're having a very, very different different conversation. conversation. And we're talking about a forehand on the run that missed by 18 inches. Um, Instead, the conversation suddenly becomes Djokovic is back, and he's the youngest of the big four, 31 years old. He has 13 now is he the favorite at the u.s open has he found his game again i still think um that was my question i was gonna ask you I had two questions one two. is what does this mean for the u.s open and the summer hardcore season do you think that this has now flipped the switch it's set really the fire off? a great he's, question i mean he's he, gone um, or is this going to be another is this just a step up and sort of like a climbing uphill battle for him to get back I think he's here, and I, I mean, I, I do think that you know. Ask me after Cincinnati. I mean, I think these these Nadal is a defending champion again. Nadal wins that indoor match, and it's a completely different storyline. And we're talking about how Djokovic is getting closer, but maybe he's still lacking that something. Remember, at Queens Club, two weeks before Wimbledon, he had match points and couldn't close the door on Marin Cilic. Uh, so th- this Wimbledon, it was sort of uh, what's what's the old line about going broke, sort of suddenly and then quickly. Um, I th- I think right now though I mean certainly Nadal Federer Djokovic pick those are your three U.S. Open favorites this was a remarkable comeback by Djokovic I mean I think there's still some questions that he probably 
has to answer, both both to himself and uh, more generally. But no, I mean, he's back. The conversation has sort of veered in, in a very, um, I mean, again, if he, if he said Novak Djokovic is going to win Wimbledon, people, I don't think they would have looked at you crazy, but I think they would have said, you know, that may be a little too fast. Things are trending in the right direction. Right. It wasn't like he totally <clears throat> came from, I mean, he'd been playing better. No, like you said. The French Open was fluky. And on grass, too, which exactly. actually probably. You no, know, he's a four, four-time champion. I mean, you know, he's won this thing twice as many times as Nadal has. But uh, all of a sudden, the the tennis story in, in the men's game, is um, it's gone in a, in a very different direction. And yet, we're still talking about big three. We're still talking about, I mean, in some ways, you know, Zverev and Nick Kyrgios is, are still question mark. In some ways, this is very much a continuation of the conversation. But this is, uh, this is a new plot. And I, I commend Djokovic. I mean, he's been through a lot in terms of injuries. I think at some point, and I... You know, it's one of these, if we're going to talk candidly, we, we all dance around what the hell's happened over the last two years. And he himself has had sort of vague references to, to personal issues. And um, I, I think that's largely his explanation to give and his story to tell. And I think there's, there's an element of privacy that needs to be respected. I mean, he went, just for perspective, though, I mean, he, he went from winning 11 of 22 majors, as you say, culminating with the 2000. 16 French Open, career slam, 11 of 22 majors won to struggling to reach week twos. So And not winning other titles. Yeah, in one t- before I mean, uh, Wimbledon, he, thing. he got I mean, a year without winning a title, exactly. Losing exactly. first round matches that he should not Martin have been Clijan, losing. Exactly. I mean, and so that, yeah, that's what I mean. We were, we sat here many times and talked about what the hell is going on because it Jamie. is clearly mm-hmm. mystifying and i mean you you were waiting for something to happen and i don't know do you think do you think something happened like you said that we don't really know about in his personal life oh, or I... do you think it was just sort of confidence thing as you said all the pieces fell into place and all of a sudden yeah i mean i think i think we can say uh how are we going to dance around this but the, the the level of engagement by his entourage appeared to be uh more intense at Wimbledon than it's been at previous majors. It does seem like he's in a good space personally. I don't want to discount this. I mean, we saw him serve in Australia, and it was clear this elbow injury was no joke. I don't want to completely discount right. injury injuries. here. Yeah. But we've seen this before. We've seen it with Serena Williams. We saw Pete Sampras, you know, humiliated at Wimbledon 2002, and then he collects himself, and he's a great player, and he can draw on confidence of having won double-digit majors, all of which Djokovic did, and suddenly he's won the U.S. Open in 2002. I mean, we've seen this so many times. It doesn't take that much for a champion to find their mojo again. I hate the word mojo. Um, But it does not take long for champions to be reacquainted with their past. And also, I mean, you can't underestimate what it means in terms of confidence and know you've done this before. That's what we were saying. That's one reason I was so surprised by Simona Halep, which is a bit of a digression. But once you've proven yourself you can win one of these, that that's a big deal. But anyway, I mean, here we are, and Novak Djokovic uh, is defending nothing the rest of the year. So right. I'm excited to see if this, we can, like, look back. Uh, you know, two years ago we were, like, peak Djokovic time, right? It seemed like he right, was exactly. not going to ever be kind of pushed off. And then now two, two years later we're here and now this is sort of I'm, I'm curious to see if this will be kind of a big turning point are we going to look back and say you know this is where he started part two of his career where he really surged and kind of continued to win all these majors and do all these things because we even people like Serena have had times in their career as you said that they've fallen off and 
kind of struggled and then all of a sudden they they rise yeah, back we, up. We again, forget Fe- so. Federer right went you know from from 2012 Wimbledon which he won didn't win a gold medal. He didn't win another major until 2017 Australian Open. I mean right. Roger Federer went almost 5 years without winning a major. All right, so let me ask you two questions. A, what is more likely? This is like tennis channel uh tennis channel green room chatter. What what's more likely? Nadal catching Federer or Djokovic catching Nadal? Nadal catching Federer. More likely. More likely in terms of like recency or just generally? Like no, just more likely to happen soon or more likely? I was thinking more likely to happen oh, soon. Oh, who's going to first? Uh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm what's again, I, I think I agree with you. And I think, you know, does Nadal have... 2017 right now, does Nadal have some more French Opens? And absolutely. I mean, 2017 French Open, Nadal was virtually untouchable at age 32. He still he still got it, especially on clay. I think this Djokovic question becomes very interesting all of a sudden. And again, I mean, we never counted him out, which I just think is foolish. And I, I think it's, no, it's, but there was it's something entirely too harsh. But I definitely think there was a question of, boy, what's... Right. going on there and is when is he going to figure out this riddle um all right so here's the second question Djokovic we know one thing about him and I think this is admirable I don't think this is at all a knock against him but this is somebody who wants to be liked he doesn't just want to be respected sort of af- affection means something to him and that's I, I got no problem with that uh if he says on Saturday morning you know what it will probably work to my detriment but this is an outdoor tournament. It's a glorious Saturday in Great Britain. Wimbledon has such a history of these fine outdoor matches. And environmentally, it's really silly to air condition an indoor 15,000-fan stadium on a day like this. It may work to my detriment, but I, I'm, I'm with Rafa. Let's take the roof off and play an outdoor match. Um, I would think he would claw back considerable goodwill and that would go down as, as a real sporting gesture. I don't think he was obligated to do it by any sense. It would have been completely voluntary. I don't think he did anything wrong by not doing that. But um, for someone who likes to be liked, don't you think that would have helped redefine him a little bit? And I'll, t- I'll tell you what, p- people I said that to said, are you crazy? He's trying to win a match. Don't be ridiculous. Like he's not here to make friends. He's here to win trophies, which he did. But uh, right. it did occur to me he, he, could, he had an opportunity for considerable goodwill. You want to... Uh, I don't pick that apart. Know. All right. I I get it. I get both sides. I was my reaction was kind of going to be the same. Like you're a competitor first, so I think especially someone like him, that's your first. That's the first thing you go to. Um, Spoken like the former athlete you were. Um, I I just thought uh, no. I mean I I think this was a good tournament overall for Djokovic. I mean he's got to be thrilled first and foremost with the result. He has to be thrilled to have played that kind of a match. I mean the the final we all know was a bit of an anticlimax. Right. Um, but I thought that um, Djokovic should be very happy with how these two weeks go. I mean, the, the match against Nadal was was an instant classic. He had a couple of sort of churlish, and I, I, I thought kind of silly, honestly, outbursts with the crowd. The center court crowd, you're up two sets to one. You don't need to get into it with them. But um, I did think overall uh, he, he came off very well. The moment with his son was really adorable. And... Thank you. Obviously, he, he cares more and, and should care more about winning majors than anything else, which he did. But I do think from a public relations standpoint, it was a nice tournament for him as well. Very, very cute child. 
Um, um, what else? You want to go to women or you want to talk to men? What else do we have on men? I, uh, you, I'll, I'll tell you two you. stories lost in the shuffle. Yes. Three stories. Um, this is the stuff I like to hear about. So, <laughs> well, I, I don't. Th- I mean, I think Mike Bryan winning a major in doubles at age forty without his brother, and Mike is, um, you know, his his brother's injured. Mike's been through a lot and picking on Jack Sock, which is interesting. Jack Sock's a terrific doubles player. I mean, Jack Sock's fan. And this is wasn't Jack his first Sock title. Is a terrific doubles player who's had a horrific, horrific year as a singles player. I was thinking like Kansas City Royals, horrific. Um, no, Jack Sox had a really rough year in a lot of ways, and uh, so this you, is good for him. Yeah, you you talk about someone whose um, sort of pop popularity has room to grow. He's he's it's been a rough year in a lot of ways for Jack Sox. So no, you hope that this might kickstart his his singles career it's nice to uh i mean he he lost in the first round to a qualifier i don't know god knows what he's going to be ranked if he doesn't defend these points in the fall uh i mean here's someone who made london last year won a masters 1000 and he's just i think he's won five matches on the year i mean he's just an absolute non-entity in singles and he's can't go a match without having some unfortunate uh exchange with with fans or the chair or the opponent's coach in this case uh to think that he leaves as a a wimbledon champion b considerably wealthier um he does uh you know he, he gets a nice chunk of change from the usta so it probably isn't her but it's nice to leave a major as a as a trophy winner on the last sunday he also played mixed doubles with sloan stevens so i, I my takeaway from this was a lot about mike great for mike bryan one of the all-time good guys a little strange that he and his brother no longer have the same uh total of of Number majors one but um Jack Sock was, was one of my takeaways, too, who's really just an unbelievable doubles player. And it's very hard to play doubles and singles. But um, Interesting. I wonder boy. I wonder if he if this helps him, gives him confidence, as you say, walk away from a major with a trophy after kind of a terrible year, or if, you're, if it kind of is a little concerning and you're like, well, you know. Maybe I ought to, uh, maybe yeah. I ought to be a double special. I don't, you know, it's it's funny too because his singles game brings to bear so few of his double skills. I mean, he's kind of a serve right. and a forehand, <clears throat> you know, typical kind of up the up the guts serve and a forehand uh, singles player. There's a lot of nuance to his doubles. He's great around the net. He's a good athlete. I mean, he had some overheads from behind the baseline. I mean, it's it's really fun to watch him play doubles, and you never would necessarily guess that. You don't get to see. I mean, he doesn't show off his hands much in a in a singles match, but. Uh, Anyway, I also think you want to know another underrated story was the junior champion. Uh, they they played the boys final that actually um, I think they were still playing when the men took the court. So this was really lost in the folds. He played a British player, um, who Robert Draper's son, who uh, I was calling I was calling him Don Draper. Um, they played on court one, so it was a huge crowd. But uh, Seng Chun Sin of uh, of Taiwan, we will not say. What's what's the uh, Olympic designation? Chinese Taipei. We will not do yes. that. Um, but from from Taiwan, he should have won. Was right there in the final with Sebastian Corda at Australian Open. Was was the finals there? Won the French Open. Won Wimbledon. Usually, a single major title doesn't necessarily serve as a great predictor for uh, majors for successes as a full time pro. But you get to three straight junior finals and win two of them. Go back and look at uh, players who have done that. Guy on Monfils is an example. That tends to augur success. So uh, this is a player to watch, and having a player from Taiwan um, as, as one of the sport's great promising prospects I think is really intriguing. I think that's a, a story to follow. The other thing, I mean, this this Roger Uniglo. I don't know how that 
played with. We we talked about it a little bit before the tournament. Right. There was a question, was this just a stocking horse offer? Was this done just to sort of get Nike's attention, or was he really going to make the move? And it turns out he did. Um, as editor of Fashionable 50, I thought you would be singularly uh, well-positioned to riff on this. What do you think of Uniglo and Roger? Uh, so, first of all, very shocking. When first saw everything. Right? It was a little very jarring for me. Also, I just thought he was going to win... So I immediately go to the superstitious luck side. He wasn't wearing his good old Nike clothes. That's the reason <laughs> why. <laughs> but that's totally not true, obviously. Um, I I thought it was interesting the point you made in your 50 thoughts. Like We all kind of joked that this was a, a big deal. It was very seismic just because of what he's been wearing for so long. But honestly, it's the nature of the business and that side of sports sponsorships and and uh, sponsors and things like that that's kind of how things work but I don't know I go back I was talking about this with someone and they had mentioned the Steph Curry Under Armour Nike thing from right, way right. back when when kind of Nike really fudged that whole thing with them with 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 Steph um, so it, it was interesting to think about it from that perspective someone who it was with someone who really doesn't follow tennis and they just uh, thought of it as a transactional type thing right, with sports right. so i don't know it's a little sad i you're sad to see the uh you know the, the now that we no longer have to wonder what's going to become of novak djokovic do you wonder what's going to become of the rf logo yes all right um yeah i i just i thought um the whole way it was done was strange well because there that, was no we, we ever left guessing for right well you weeks. know he practiced he practiced in Nike before his first match, and then there was sort of this 20-minute window, and this whole team kind of changed into Uniqlo. It struck me as it was weird. a little strange, a little cloak and dagger. It didn't strike me as sort of a Federer type of Emma. It's not really his MO. I know what you mean, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand it from Nike's standpoint, and they've got P&L statements, and they've got right. data on 36-year-old athletes, and I get it, and I understand it from Roger's position, and... I guess, you know, clothes are kind of one of those blind, a little bit of a blind spot with me. Um, you know, people people that cover the sport have different, some people are great with X's and O's and don't care about the right. agency and the business side. And some people, I just, the attire thing, I never really get into too much unless it's, you know, appalling. I would be the curious. The zebra stripes come to mind. What were you going to say? I would be curious about the actual, like, quality of the, the gear yeah. itself. I mean, I know that there are, Obviously, tons of players. I've played in Nike stuff and never played in, in Uniqlo gear. But um, I know, like, soccer-wise, there was a difference between Adidas and Nike for certain things. You know, some people like— you play. Yeah, some people yeah. liked Nike socks versus Adidas socks, or for, especially for cleats, different things like that. You know, fits person A's feet better than person B. So I'm curious, you know, like, I, I know comfort has to be a thing for, for players and, you know, how you feel when you're playing, but— Maybe so. it's like uh no, maybe it's a stencil job. No, I think the one thing about um Roger that I just thought was interesting was his whole brand is predicated on sort of elegance and luxury and I don't want to say elitism, but but there's a certain sort of rarefied air in the brands and Rolex and Mercedes and For sure. you know, Swiss coffee makers and um I, I mean I do think, you know, Uniglo is God bless it. I would never disparage a brand, but uh this is where mm -hmm. like my wife and I buy our kids clothes before they go to camp. I right. mean this is not 
They're amazing for upmarket. Yeah, it's great. Twenty dollars sweatpants exactly. and some nice fleece got, and uh, everything else. Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. You go but, with your camp shopping list, but this is not. And you, not you, you like Nike. You don't wear is, that with a Rolex. And it's not like Nike is considered a luxury brand either. But there is a certain way that the way they the present brand presents him itself. With exactly. The logo. And, um, the logo and just even how they. Do you remember you know, like marketing the cardigan, materials around them? Yeah, yeah like the and cream then, cardigan and 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 know. Nike has also been very fashion forward with their athletes, and so that's something that Federer has always. Right. It relates to the Rolexes and the, the right. whatever. Like kids ain't wearing Rolexes with their Uniqlo <laughs> apparel. Anyway, um, I feel like we've done what tennis has done to its great detriment this year. I mean, you know what that is? What? Give second class status to the women. Um. I think this and has that's been a my great fault, season. I, I blame you, Jamie Lasanti. Um, no, let's talk women's tennis because I think I have a can – can I give you a little riff here? Yes. I think, first of all, the it's really foolish to compare the men to the women. And, oh, the women lost 10 seeds in the first eight days and the men only lost two. And Rafa, Roger, and Novak now are so reliable and the women are kind of Serena and win, lose, or draw. I think – Men's tennis and women's tennis play really well together. I think they play off each other really well. I think if you like unpredictability and you like upsets, great. If you want reliable champions, you got that too. But I think these women's matches, and I think, you know, again, obviously the, the draw from a seeding standpoint was ravaged. I think some of that was a little bit overlooked. I mean, I don't think Makarova beating Carolyn Wozniacki on grass is quite the upset that the seeds would have you believe it is. But what did we get in the end? We got... Two Hall of Famers. We have two players who have now played in, I think it's three of the last six majors that they've both entered. They've played each other in the final, obviously talking about Kerber and Serena. Kerber had already beaten Serena on a fast court in Australia in 2006. They had a great Wimbledon final in 2006. They meet again. Um, Not a great final, but I think women's tennis has done awfully well for itself. And um, I think too often it's, it's men versus women, and we don't think about the mosaic of tennis and sort of as as an entity i think men's and women's tennis really play off of each other well i also would say that you know the top four women now in the rankings each of them has won a major we had the same thing at the french open um kerber now moving up into uh to a top four ranking great to see serena back i think one takeaway is tennis still really matters to her mm-hmm. i think in, in a weird way it probably helps that she didn't win she came close she's motivated she knows she can still play a lot of great tennis she can still serve in the 120s there's some aspects of her game that still uh understandably need a little bit of fine tuning but i think in a way tennis benefited from serena's not winning if that makes sense yeah that makes sense but um i i love the women's tournament and i've i mean i always love women's tennis but um i feel like this has been a great year for women's tennis and i wish uh this were perceived a little different by the tennis community and i wish that uh Maybe the WTA did a better job of, of, of spinning this. I think this one line about kind of like the field is so deep rings a little bit hollow. I think there were too many losses. Madison Keys, Holop, and Garusa. Too many of those matches were Kvitova losing the last set 6-0. It wasn't as though the players, it wasn't as though Rodina, who beat Madison Keys, then like went on this tear and we all said, oh boy, right. she's a player. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's a little disingenuous to simply stop at saying the field is so deep anyone can beat anyone. But I, I think the women's product uh is quite strong and i I thought it again at this tournament for sure rant over yeah no i agree you said you said 2006 but you meant 2016 
I'm sorry. And no, but I right. was gonna say that it felt like this tournament felt like 2016 all over again between Djokovic winning and then we had Kerber Serena, which was kind of the big storyline of 2016. It was so nice to see. Um, I really thought Serena was gonna do it, but I, I understand your point about it being good for tennis and and good for her as well. I think she definitely started to feel the moment uh, at the end. Yeah, didn't you? Did that yeah. did that come across on TV? It, I did. It did for sure. She she has this like tendency where she she does like one of two things where she she does her when she when it starts getting intense she really like she does that bounce from side to side and you can like see it in her face where she's like locked in and ready to go. Right. And then sometimes she has that really nervous look on her face and sometimes the nervousness honestly doesn't mean anything she she'll overcome it and she's won matches where she's dropped sets because maybe she came out a little off or something like that but i did i did see that a little bit where you sort of saw her maybe going oh wow i'm i'm gonna win wimbledon you know and i i feel like some of this was the build-up and tiger woods is there and shonda Ra. i mean just right. you know the I'm ter- you know, another blind spot besides attire. I'm I'm terrible with Meghan the Royals. The, the Royals, yeah, I know Meghan Markle, but uh, right, right. So you had uh, right. Kate, Kate, and Meghan Markle are there, and the the players' box is filled with these A-listers. And I think even before the match started, the moment got to her a little bit. And yeah, I think like Federer, she played nervous. Yeah, and you could really, you could really see it. You could see it in her body language. You could see. It. I mean, she was missing shots that she wouldn't right. miss in the first six rounds. She that was what's weird to about Federer. There was yeah, just... I think the same thing with Federer. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's good though. It's nice to see her. I think also part of it is that she's really embraced this role as like a role model for mothers and kind of really, she's really embraced being a mother, not just with obviously at home, but I think she's really taken to saying, you know, this is how I'm dealing with this. This is how I'm dealing with being a mother and an athlete. And I think it's great. I think it's really admirable. I love that. she's. I, I think it's authentic too. I mean, I think is, we've seen is. this, but I, you know, I, I also, uh, I mean, I feel like one of the great cliche tropes in sports are something happens and we, what do we say? It's given them perspective. They used to be clueless, but then, you know, their, their sister had leukemia, and it's given them perspective. But right. I really felt like this was a different Serena Williams. She conducted herself differently. Go back and look at the text and the syntax of her press conferences, the seven press conferences, eight, I guess, uh, she gave at Wimbledon versus a year ago, five years ago. That sounds like a different person who's approaching life differently. She's obviously – and I, I think some of this pregnancy is – I mean, some of this – sort of maternity leave, this return is about some of it's a physical story and what does it take to get your body back to being an elite athlete? And we talked about her movement isn't quite there, but her serve is and the pec muscle. I think a lot of this is just emotional. Agreed. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. But I think she she's fallen into this role, but I think it's something she's not used to. And she she wants to be that voice because I think she feels like she I think she really loves being a mother and she wants to share that with people and, and kind of embrace it. But I think she's also kind of still finding, figuring it out and finding her way in that. So I think there is just an extra amount of pressure. I mean, when she won her other majors, she wasn't also a role model for all these mothers, you know, like you said, getting their body back and dealing with a baby at home and dealing with all these things. And now she's not only trying to win more Grand Slams, but she's also kind of embracing this role. So... No, and I, I think one of the great, um, I mean, I've said this before, but I think one of the best parts of this whole Williams family story is that 
we always play this game and say, well, we didn't know what we had until it was gone, and I wish we would appreciate it more. Uh, some of this is just a function of how long they both played, but these are not polarizing figures, uh, Venus and Serena. These these are not figures um, where you, you take sides and they're good. I mean, I think Serena's pretty much universally revered these days. And the people who don't like her, what do they point to? Well, she once screamed at a line judge and threatened her. And that is correct. That's regrettable. I would say that was in the heat of battle. I always draw this demarcation. <laughs> I would also say that was almost a decade ago. Right. Is there no statute of limitation? Like, that's what you're holding in Serena Williams, that in 2009 she had What did you had do a, a decade ago exactly, that exactly. probably wasn't so, so um, great? <laughs> no, I think, I think one of the, I think, I always say this, this Williams story is one of the great sports stories of our time, no matter how much we've heard it. But uh, one of the nicest parts to me is that um, they have embraced tennis. Tennis has embraced them. Going beyond that, these are not polarizing figures. I think they're completely appreciated. There is no sort of tepid applause when Serena Williams talks or takes the court. Um, she is universally liked and adored, and she should be. So uh, anyway, I, I think that um, it'll be interesting to see how she plays at the U.S. Open. She was right there. You know, Angie Kerber is a tricky opponent. Playing a left-hander is never easy. The court is chewed up, which probably helped Kerber all the more. Um, I do think the moment got to Serena a little bit, but um, she she ought to. She does not leave with a 24th title, but she leaves with everything else she possibly could have wanted out of that tournament. Um, other points of business. Apart from, uh, I'll spare you my 30 seconds about my fondness for uh, Daria Kazatkina. God, is she fun to watch. Um, strange tournament overall. I, I think if, uh, if Nadal Djokovic had been the final and not the semi by quirk of draw, we're talking about this tournament very differently. Bit of an anticlimax. I feel like, all right, let's do it, Jamie. Let's have the obligatory riff on uh, playing out these fifth sets, since you're not allowed to have a conversation about tennis this week without having an opinion here. Your thoughts? Well, considering that I was on a plane, I didn't actually watch. So it was a long flight. Six, six, six and a half hours. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, I, keep I going. was. I mean, I was Sorry. coming from LA. All right. Anyway. Uh, I think that when we get to this point of in the 20s, it just becomes like ridiculous. I think we get, as you said, as we said earlier, we probably still get Djokovic as a champion on Sunday, but we probably get a better final on Sunday if Anderson is not so just wiped. I mean, it's it's crazy. At least I, I kind of compare it to the World Cup. You can have overtime matches in the World Cup. You can have PKs, and PKs are as emotionally draining as anything. But at least if from both sides of the draw you have both teams that go through through two rounds of overtime and then they go through penalties, they have the same – it's equal, right? I mean, you're always going to have it the same. So uh, we don't have that in tennis here. And so I think that's what sort of makes it unfair to me is that it does make it one-sided, and it's not about the tennis after a while. Exactly. But also, I mean, I also think that uh, the unfortunate thing, and this is just nature, there's no way around this, but this impacts more than just the two players. Someone said, well, shouldn't this be the punishment for not breaking serve? Like, why are we giving these guys an out? Like, break serve if you want to get this match over with. But I think that um, one of the unfortunate things about playing out these fifth sets is that it impacts everyone. So Nadal and Djokovic have to play an indoor match much later than they thought. Right. They have to come back, and we have the silly spectacle of the indoor match while it's a beautiful day. The women's final doesn't have a starting time. There was not one women's doubles 
match on uh, center court because the schedule got mucked up. I mean, this it doesn't exist in a vacuum. I mean, a, a match that goes 26-24 impacts everyone, TV, the fans, coverage, scheduling. So I, I think we, we can't just isolate it on, on the players. Um, Ten seconds, by the way. Nicole Melichar, who uh, I candidly did not know much about, uh, finalist in uh, women's doubles and won the mixed. Nice tournament for her. American player from uh, Czech Republic. Actually, I'm looking at her bio here. I believe this is Lucy Safarova's hometown. But uh, anyway, nice to see uh, a player that most fans probably haven't heard too much about uh, come away with such a successful tournament. But um, anyway, back, back to the point. Yeah, I, th- I think the consensus is you just need a finish line. And there's all sorts of social science on this, right? I mean, if someone says, go run four miles on a treadmill, you do it. And if they say, go run, okay, you got to run another half mile, your performance goes off a cliff. Why? Because right. mentally you've accounted for four miles. Being If someone says, swim to shore, you have a destination. You want to know where it is. It's yeah. Like if someone why your just trainer says, counts down yeah. from 10 to 9 and doesn't exactly. tell you, just keep going. And, and then... you don't know how much of my energy should I expend. Am I going to be here till 26, 24? Should I go all out in this game? Right. I think athletes need we all do right this is why deadlines are effective uh we all need start times and finish times while we're here though lay it on me let's give a little round of applause for kevin anderson i think we didn't yeah, talk about yeah. him no but you're I think, right That's i mean good point finalist Thank of the you. u.s open finalists here again at Wimbledon. in between that he did fall off he had some injuries right yeah he had a, he had a rough go of it i mean not unlike john isner no he's 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 had so, a rough go of it this year but and then pulled it together. Pros, a guy we pros don't, pro. Exactly. A guy we probably don't give enough credit to. So I'll tell you too, his coach uh left him late last year. Right. So he went to go work for change. Young Chung. So A, we talk yeah, exactly. There's there's some distraction and some disruption with having So good a coach to see change. him get back. Good to see up. Kevin Anderson. That's two finals now in um Remember we had Kelsey? Remember we had his wife uh, on the podcast? We, did. we talked we sh- we should double back with her. We should. She's um, great. Um what's it like sitting in that box? When your husband's playing for for major titles now and beating Roger Federer and playing twenty six twenty four, it's quite quite a. Uh, I mean, I, I think some of this we talk about how beat up Kevin Anderson was for the final. I think some of this is just emotionally beat up too. Well, you yeah, beat Federer in yeah. five sets, you come back, you win twenty six twenty four, then you play the Wimbledon final. You walk out there, center court, you know the Duke and Duchess of Parsleyville are there. <laughs> Royalty's not my thing. Um, I I think. This guy hopefully is on a beach somewhere with no internet and just uh, regrouping and recouping because that's that's a busy seventy six hours. But uh, good good play, Kevin Anderson. All right, that uh, that does it, Jamie. Andy Roddick, I believe, will be joining us next week. I will actually not be here, but maybe we'll um, pre-tape this. Otherwise, you've got the keys to the car. Pleasure talking tennis with you, Jamie. It's great. I uh, I enjoyed it as always. As always, the uh, the fans want more Lasanti this week. They got it. Uh, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, as always, to Jamie, who not only starred in this podcast, but will now produce it and edit it, too. Um, she is a, a versatile colleague. Keep the guest suggestions coming, and we will uh, do this again in seven days. Have a good week, everyone. And if people were so interested in Jamie, where could they listen to this podcast? They can go on Apple Podcasts and sign up, subscribe, do all the things, and keep sending us recommendations. A veritable Nicole Melichar you are. See how you picked that up? Good doubles <laughs> player. Um, all right. That does it for this week. Have a good week, everyone. We'll do it again in seven days. Mm-hmm.